As you might suspect, this past Wednesday, I loaded up the church truck with my kayak and my gear, and I headed to the Green River Lake. The Green River Lake, for me, is a thin place. Now, this year, I've only been three times. That's it, three times. But something happens when I'm loading my Bible and my books and my journals and my kayak and my paddles and my you know, gear and snacks, there's, there's this sense of anticipation that starts building. If you've ever taken a vacation, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're packing and you're anticipating what is going to be. And, it, and even though you haven't left your home yet, there's something inside of you that's already starting to change because you know where you're going, okay? And so I want to talk to you today about these thin places. Um, when I'm on the Green River Lake, uh, I'll take a day, but the thing about being there is that I can hear the stuff that's inside of me. I can hear and name my own emotions and all the other things that I'm thinking and feeling, and then I can, I can just hear God's voice more easily. And I find that it doesn't take me more than 20 minutes out of town in the truck before the weight of responsibility slides off my shoulders. And before all of a sudden I start hearing God's voice, sometimes it sounds like Jenny's voice in conversations that she's had with me recently, but then it's clearly God's voice, right? And so I'll sit out and I'll camp out for a day on a spot and I'll journal, I'll read, I'll, I'll crank out sermons and, and content, but I'm there to kind of meet God. And again, like in the video, my friend who gardens, that's her thin place. And when she's not in the garden, she's cranky. She's out of sorts. She's like, there's this inner turmoil that characterizes her life because she's not been to her thin place. Um, my friend who went to holiness camp meetings um, has tried to recreate that, and it's not the same. He says to me, it's just not what it was because he can only get away for a week and there was something about the extended time when he was a kid and, and holiness camp meetings have changed. Okay, they're not what they were. And it, it's made this out of sortness for him. What are, where are some places where you have met God? Can you shout out a few? Where are some places you've met God? Yoga. Where else? Church. Yeah, there are these places where we meet God. Have you ever heard of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem? It's this stone edifice. And for hundreds of years, people of all different faiths have showed up to put something in the crack of the wall to kind of lay a prayer before God and say, please hear my prayer. There's nothing magical or sacred about it in a sense, in one sense, but People, there, there's something about that location. It's a place to meet God. This room is a place to meet God. And rooms like it all over the world. There are cathedrals in Europe with huge, huge walls and stained glass. And then there are places on the continent of Africa that have a dirt floor. It's got walls and windows and a roof, but it's got a dirt floor. And there they're meeting God. Okay? All of these places are what Celtic Christians called a thin place. 
And by a thin place, they meant that the boundary between heaven and earth is so small, you can go back and forth. You can easily encounter God. And so I want to tell you this morning something very important that Americans just don't get. Americans struggle with this concept because they want to live in disembodied life. God always meets us in a particular place. God always meets us in a particular place. And some places are easier than others to encounter him. Again, for Moses, it was the top of Mount Sinai, the burning bush. And he returned there and returned there and returned there. For Jesus, it was slipping out while it was still dark and going off into the wilderness. The, the word, the wilderness, is what you and I would consider the desert. <laughs> Rocks and sand and dirt. But he would go off to get away and encounter God. In Exodus 23, God carves out for his people three different feasts, three different festivals. And he says, three times a year, I want you to stop what you're doing, and I want you to gather in one place, and I want you to retell what has happened to you and what I've done. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, which we know as Passover, the Feast of Weeks or Ingathering, which we now call Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths. So for over a thousand years, Jews would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for these different feasts or festivals. They would come from all over Israel. And they didn't have radios, and they didn't have cell phones, and they didn't have portable DVD players, and they didn't have earbuds, and they didn't have all of that kind of stuff. They didn't have smartwatches. They didn't have any screen to occupy their time while they were journeying to Jerusalem. So what did they do? They sang songs. If you're old enough, you know what I'm talking about because on the way to vacation, maybe you did the license plate game. All right, kids, we're going to see how many different license plates we can see on the interstate. I found one from New York. I found one from New York. Or a thousand bottles of beer on the wall, like, right? And maybe in your family, that was like a, you know, we don't sing that song. It's got the word beer in it. But like there were these songs that we sang in the car to get from point A to point B. And in that way, Americans of a generation ago just did the thing that people have done for centuries and millennia, to occupy time while they're traveling from one place to another. And the songs that they would sing going to these festivals are what's called the Psalms of Ascent. These are Psalms 120 to Psalms 134 in your Bible. They're all grouped together. And these were put to music and they were sung on the way to Jerusalem. And they're called Psalms of Ascent because the last little part of the journey, you had to go deep into the valley, and then you had to climb along the hill to the Temple Mount to enter Jerusalem. And it's 2,700 feet up. And so in that 2,700 feet up, you would be singing these songs. Now, Psalm 122 is a psalm of triumph because it's talking about arriving all the way up at the top of that 2,700 feet and, and entering the gate of Jerusalem. So, Psalm 122, verse 1. And I want to get it back in my paper Bible. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So, 
here's the background. It's the time of the feasts, and the people are thinking about how hard life is. That's Psalm 120, by the way. But they know there's a place that they can go where they're going to meet with God, a thin place, an encounter with God that's going to make all the difference. That's Psalm 121. And then we hit Psalm 122. They've been walking and walking and singing and singing, and then finally they arrive to the city. Psalm 122.1. The psalmist knows that when he gets there, he's going to meet with God, and he's going to meet with God's people. And he's going to be inspired and encouraged. And so there's anticipation and a little excitement brewing. And then verses 2 and 3, and now here we are, standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. Jerusalem is well-built. It's solid. It's safe. And then the psalmist looks around, and he sees all these people pouring into the city. And that's the next couple of verses. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord as the law requires of Israel. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. The Lord's people make their pilgrimage here. I don't know if you know this, but in sanctuaries all around the world today, people have made a pilgrimage to these little and big places of worship to gather with God's people, as God's people have been doing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. That's the verse 1, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, Jerusalem isn't just any city. Pray for the peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I'll say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. So the psalmist turns and talks about this location, Jerusalem, this thin place. It's where first the tabernacle was and then the temple, a special place of God's presence. And it's where God's people gathered three times a year to retell the story of God's deliverance and God's goodness to each other, to confess, to sing. Does this sound familiar, church? And they did that. And the psalmist is saying that if the place where God dwells can flourish, everywhere will flourish. So he prays for the peace of Jerusalem. And the word peace is this word shalom, which means inner well-being, and so much more. Can't get into it. It's big word means big stuff. But shalom and shalwa. Shalwa means security around you. So he's praying for peace inside the hearts of the people of Jerusalem, and then he's praying for peace and security around Jerusalem. So when you go to the house of the Lord, you get peace inside you and around you. And after experiencing the house of the Lord, the psalmist concludes with basically saying, I feel so good right now. I'm not going to worry about myself anymore. I'm going to do something for others. I will seek what is best for you. There's something that happens when you go to the house of the Lord. Your eyes turn from focusing on yourself to focusing on others. You have less to worry about because you're seeing the worries of others. So Psalm 122 is this psalm of triumph where the people arrive to a thin place to encounter God. Everyone needs a thin place. You need a thin place in your life. 
David puts it this way. I was so glad when somebody said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Everybody needs a place to encounter God in the midst of his people. Now, this room is one place, but I want to ask you some questions. And the first question is, what are some of the places that God has met you in your life? Where are some of the places God has met you in your life? And then, what if you could regularly return to a thin place? What might that do for you in your heart and your inner sense of shalom? So what does this look like? And so I want to kind of draw out this pilgrimage passage of God's people arriving to a thin place. First of all, when you're in trouble, go to the thin place. Psalm 120 verse 1 begins with this, I took my troubles to the Lord. It's sung as pilgrims are ascending the hill into Jerusalem. Um, when our kids were little, we had uh, a gathering place outside the home if we had to evacuate in case of a, in the middle of the night, emergency. It's something you do when you have little kids. And so we bought our first home. It was a little ranch on Greenbrier Street. We had not been in the home a week. We still had boxes stacked along the walls. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, the carbon monoxide detector goes off. So we call 911 and we gather and it's us and John Mark and we go outside and we're outside at the place and we're waiting for the firemen to come. And, and they they're not turning on their siren because it's three in the morning and because it's not a fire, it's a carbon monoxide call. So we hear the truck going up and down the streets trying to find our address. <laughs> and they show up and the gas company shows up and sure enough, the firemen, they tell us, oh, there's nothing, you know, that's probably the new carpet. And then the gas company guy gets out of his truck and his meter goes, <laughs> and then the firemen are like, stand across the street, please. <laughs> right? But it was a place to gather, okay? When you're in trouble, please don't go to Facebook, don't go to Instagram, don't go to some of these digital places and spaces. Go to a thin place. Go to some place where you can meet God. You're going to be better off when you're in trouble going to a thin place. Once you've been to a thin place, you know how to find it. Psalm 121.1, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord. The psalmist is not talking about, well, God comes from the hills. He's talking about the hill of Mount Jerusalem, right, right at the, the Temple Mount. And he's saying, that's where my help comes from, that hill, that place of God's presence, okay? Location matters. Location matters. Location matters. You Americans, we Americans, I'm an American too. You may not all be. But we Americans, we like to do this thing where we you know, all, all my friends on Facebook, and that's great that you got like 5,000 friends on Facebook, <laughs> but that's not an, those aren't necessarily embodied friendships, right? So Americans want to live this disembodied life where they do a lot of things virtually, extensionally, by Zoom, and, and, and there are good things to that. But when you're really, really sad and depressed, don't you feel something in your body? Or when you get really, really good news, 
we're going to have another baby, or whatever it is that you're really excited about, isn't there also something in your body that happens, right? So you're this embodied person, and I'm going to say to you that it matters, okay? And now here we are, Psalm 122, verse 2. Here we are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. So while it's true that God is everywhere, you can meet God in your bed, in your living room, in this rented church facility that could be anything. Even on Interstate 75, you can meet God. You can often meet God on Interstate 75 after a very close call. <laughs> you can meet God in your pajamas or in your best set of clothes. But again, we're embodied people. Some places, so for example, when you go to the swimming pool, you kind of anticipate that you might get wet. Some of you go to the swimming pool to, to darken your skin color, but like you go to the swimming pool for something, right? When you go to the gym, you expect to work out. When you go to Starbucks, you expect coffee and in two months time, a pumpkin spice latte, <laughs> okay? Some locations are better than others for encountering God. If you've ever tried to do the American thing of a devotional all by yourself and you're in your bed where you sleep primarily and you're trying to do the devotional and you fall asleep and you're like, I'm such a terrible Christian. No, it's just that you've trained your body. When you get into bed, you go to Snoresville. Or maybe you've tried to do this like devotional thing and it's been in the room where you watch, binge watch everything on Netflix. And you're there and in your seat and you've got the Bible and, and you find before you know it, before even five minutes are off, the TV's on and you're watching something. And then you say to yourself, I'm such a terrible Christian. I can't even have a devotional. And I turned on Netflix again. And what's going on? It's that you trained your body that when you sit in that chair, what do you do? You watch things on Netflix. So location matters. Do you see how this works? Okay, so it matters that uh, we go to places, and even in our homes, when we're trying to encounter God in our homes, in our apartments, that we have a particular place that we go to to meet God. It actually matters because you're this embodied creature. I think it's why so many Americans got way depressed and everything else during COVID. We were locked in our homes. For those of us who are people of faith, we weren't gathering. What does the church do? The church gathers. Like black church in America had a huge problem because their default setting for any kind of crisis is, come on, let's gather. And that was taken away for a season. And it was a huge freak out. Like, what do we do? This is what we do when there's something terrible happening. We can't do that. What? Ah! The sky is falling, okay? So location matters. One thing you could decide is to make Sunday gathering a priority over other things. Another thing that you could do is when you're trying to connect with God on your own, maybe not do it alone. Invite somebody else along, but for the things that you are doing alone, pick a spot in a location and be intentional about it where you live, in your apartment or your home. And then together matters. Let us, our feet, ancient Israel was spread out over 13,000 square miles, divided into 12 different tribes. And they clustered together in family groups and villages, but three times a year they came together in Jerusalem. And they gathered on the Temple Mount, and they retold the stories of God's deliverance, the things that God had done. 
and they repented and they sang and they confessed and they anteed up again. Oftentimes on that mount, they would rededicate themselves to the Lord, okay? That's why it matters that you worship with your church family. Uh, it's why it matters when you, that you regularly return to those thin places in your life. So I've got some advice along those lines about thin places. Whatever your thin places are, and by the way, this is one of them, whatever your thin places are, visit them regularly and guard them fiercely. And when I say visit them regularly, I mean like for those of you that keep calendars uh, and you have like a digital calendar for your life, I know I'm going to be here on Sunday every given week anyway, but do you know what? In my Google calendar, there's an appointment. It's there, and a reminder goes off. It's amazing, that simple little step, that making that commitment. I put everything else in my calendar. Why wouldn't I put worship there, right? So, like, things like that. Schedule it. Be intentional about it. And for these uh, days that I will take at the Green River Lake, I schedule them. But then the second part is guard them fiercely. What I found is that particularly when I'm trying to go to the Green River Lake to encounter God, any and all kinds of things will come up to derail me or keep me from going. And that's because there's this unseen part to reality that I don't fully understand and appreciate with principalities and powers and the King Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? But I've got an enemy that does not want me to encounter God, that wants me to go it on my own that wants me to waller in everything that I've got going on in, in my life. And he's going to try and prevent me from going to the lake, being here, like those places where I encounter God, he doesn't want me there, right? So guard them fiercely. For me, another thin place in my life was my freshman year of college. So I went to a Christian college up in Chicago, Wheaton College, and because uh, it was far away from home. And I get there, and I'm on the sixth floor of this men's dormitory, Traber Hall. And I've got a roommate from Alaska who's just weird. And if he were here today talking to you, he would have said, I've got this guy from Indiana named Max, and he is weird. <laughs> and, like, you know, I don't know how that worked, but it did. Never met each other until the day we moved in. Uh, and so one of the things that happened on the sixth floor of Traber Hall on Sunday afternoons is that a, a guy named, uh, I think his name was Derek. It was Derek or David. I'm, you know, enough time has passed that I'm like, was I really there? <laughs> okay, <laughs> right? So, so Derek organized this praise and prayer gathering on Sunday afternoons, and he invited everybody on the floor to attend. And our, our dorm lounge was in the middle of the you know, seven-floor uh, building. So the dorm rooms were along the walls, and then the community bathroom and the dorm lounge were in the middle. Now, the dorm lounge butted up to the bathroom, so the back was a cement wall, but on three sides it was just windows so that you could see into the hallway and doorways. But also, if you were in the hallway, you could look in and see what was going on in the dorm lounge. So on Sunday afternoon, they brought, like, Jimbe, I know what it's called now. Uh, they had guitars. They had some weird instruments I had never seen. It was very chaotic. These were not professional musicians. The singing was not something you would want to record and sell and make money on. 
But we did that. We gathered, we sang, and then people actually confessed sin. It was the first time in my life I had ever been to something regularly where people would just confess sin in a, in a gathering of that kind. And God was there. What's fascinating to me is that there we were, and there were maybe, I would say, half of the floor gathered, and half of the floor didn't. So on any given Sunday afternoon, there God was meeting a few 18-year-old young men in a dormitory, and there were other 18 and 19-year-old men literally 15 feet away, not encountering God in that way. And it just blows my mind to this day that just 15 or 20 feet distance, and they miss something, right? I don't want you to miss thin places where you can encounter God. And so, again, visit them regularly, guard them fiercely.